Hey, if you've got a Bible on you this morning, would you grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 28? If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people coming up the aisles right now who would love to get a Bible into your hands so you could go to Matthew 28, where we're going to be this morning. If you don't own a Bible, man, I'd love for you to take one home with you as our gift to you. So for sure, throw your hand up to grab one of these and go to the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter 28. So right at the end of Matthew, chapter 28. As you're turning there into Matthew chapter 28, I just want to ask you this. If you were to go to your mailbox this coming week, and, and in your mailbox, people still write letters, right, on paper, I think, right? And you were to go there, and, and in your mailbox, you'd pull out this, this letter. And on the envelope, it looked very official. You open it up, and written on, on a, a lawyer's um, um, letterhead is this letter to you that is telling you that you have this long-lost relative. You don't even know who they are, but in this letter, it says they've left you an inheritance of millions of dollars. I mean, what would you think? First thing I'm doing is going, okay, is he a Nigerian prince? Because I know that that's not true, right? You'd be so skeptical, wouldn't you? Because of how many scams are out there, you'd be super skeptical. But, but here's the thing. I would think that you would still call that number, the lawyer's number on that letter. You probably wouldn't just throw the letter out. As skeptical as you would be, the offer is too great for you not to go, maybe I should just check this out a little bit. Now, that's what I think that Easter is for us. Easter is that, that opening of this letter where, where it sounds too good to be true. That, that, that Jesus would step in and offer us a new way of life, a life unlike any other life, a life that's not religion, a life that's not me striving harder, a life that's not about what I can do to make life great, but he steps in as God the Son, stepping into my place to deliver me from brokenness and sin, that he would transform me, make me new, that, that your past could be completely dealt with, that your present could be changed, that your future could be sure. Filled with hope that Jesus would step in and take our place to die the death we should have died, but then he wouldn't stay dead, that he would rise again on a Sunday morning. I mean, I mean, here's the thing. You, you hear that, and if you're like me, you're thinking, this sounds amazing, but almost too good to be true. Here's the thing, that, that very first Easter, everyone close to Jesus, when you read the historical accounts, everyone close to Jesus was just like you would be opening up that letter. They were skeptical. No, no one on Easter Sunday morning, we don't read of anybody who's waiting at the tomb early Sunday morning going, Man, I can't wait because I know he's going to come out. Nobody. They did like you and I would have done if we saw a loved one die. They mourned deeply. On that, uh, that first Sunday morning, Sabbath is now over. Jesus died on a Friday night. They couldn't have, have done anything for all of Saturday because it's Sabbath. And in, in Jewish tradition, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So now we have Sunday morning. They're allowed to get up and do some stuff. And what do they do? We see in Matthew 28, this group of women, some of the women who followed so closely after Jesus. Look at verse 1 of chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, what are they doing? Why are they going to the tomb? 
We read in the other gospels, they're coming to bring spices. They're bringing spices to him. Why would you bring spices? You're bringing them because a body that's decomposing in a tomb would begin to stink. And so you would bring spices to anoint the body. They assumed, like, like you and I would assume, that dead people stay dead. I mean, you can read in Matthew 27 where it was these women who were right there. They saw Jesus die. It was, it was these women, after all the guys had taken off in fear, these ladies still staying as close as they could to Jesus. They were there while they, they wrapped Jesus in a hundred pounds of spices, wrapping him up in that linen cloth they would wrap a dead body up into. They saw him placed into the tomb. And so here they come. the tomb to mourn the one who they loved, the one who they'd hoped would be the Messiah, the one to come to bring forgiveness, to, to, to bring restoration. They'd seen him heal the sick. They'd heard him forgive sins, and yet they'd also seen him killed on that Friday. You know, I was thinking about a lot of the reasons why I love our church, and, and one of the reasons I really love our church, I love that our church is filled with people from so many different walks of life, and, and here in this room, especially on Easter, you're going to have people across every part of the spectrum of what a spiritual journey would look like. I mean, there are people here this morning, I mean, you're all in for Jesus. You come on Easter, fired up, ready to go, yeah, this is why I'm here, because I, I, I love and follow Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. I'm living out my life for him, and you're all in. There are people here this morning, you're just kind of kicking the tires. You're kind of like, oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear about Jesus. I've got friends who, who know him, and they kind of look a lot different to me, and they're, they're living their life in a way that, man, it just appeals to me, and I, I want to know more about this. And you've got some questions. There are some of you here this morning, you're here because somebody dragged you here, right? Because someone promised you lunch after, someone said, hey, we're going to church, you gotta come too. If you're gonna sleep at our house, you're coming to our church, right? That's kind of that thing, right? And you're brought out here going, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if I'm all in for this whole thing. I mean, church is a nice place to be. I don't mind being here on Easter Sunday, but this whole Jesus raising from the dead and now my life is for him, that seems a little much. And where you land on an Easter morning, whether, whether you're skeptical, whether you're all in, whether you're just kind of wondering, you've got some questions, whether you're full on, I don't buy any of this, I'm just here. I think it's pretty clear from how we started this service where, where, with the songs we were singing that as a church, you kind of know where we stand, right? We're pretty much all in on this, what Easter is all about. We're not, we're not celebrating chocolate bunnies, right? We're not doing that. I'll eat them, I will, right? We're not celebrating that winter's over and spring is here because talk about skepticism. I don't actually believe spring's coming. Like, I don't know, right? <laughs> this pasty white body needs some vitamin D and I need it quick, right? That's not what we're fired up about Easter, though. We're, we're, we're not just saying it's an inspirational story like Jesus rose from the dead in my heart. Like there's a, it's a great story, like, like, like watching Rocky gets me fired up about, man, I can accomplish things even if I'm, I'm down and out. I could be raised up again. And no, that's not what we're talking about here. We're celebrating because we believe as Christians that Jesus literally, physically was resurrected from the grave. We believe that, that, that Jesus was physically and literally killed on a Friday, that he was in a grave by Friday evening and until Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, he rose again and he conquered death and sin and Satan. And even 
Even right there, you, you, you can hear you know, someone clapping. You, could, you can hear some people saying amen, which is, if, if you're new to church, that's Christianese for right on or heck yeah, right? Okay, that's all it means, right? Jesus rose from the dead, heck yeah, amen. Okay, that's all it is, right? But then there's some of you I know, I mean, you're not gonna say it out loud, but you're like going, eh, not so sure. But listen, if this Easter stuff is true, if Jesus really did raise from the grave, it has some huge implications for our lives, does it not? I mean, you, you can't just blow this off. You, you can't just say, well, you know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Listen, if it is true, I mean, you gotta wrestle this thing down. You have to do something with this Jesus. He is the most famous person, regardless of where you're from, what continent or what country. More books written about him than any other person. He's the topic of more debate than any other person. He's, he's discussed in all the world religions, mentioned in the Quran. Everybody has to do something with Jesus. And, and this is what I want to press in on us today. With, with like the 20 or so minutes we've got left here this morning, here's the question I want to ask. It's this, how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to the rescue we just saw on this video, that, that he's come to rescue us? Because if the resurrection is true, if this rescue is true, then all of it's true. But listen, if it's not true, then none of it's true. And really, who cares what we do as a church? The Apostle Paul says in one of his letters to the church in Corinth, he says, listen, if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, then as Christians, we're a joke. If Jesus didn't die and raise again from the dead, then he's saying, do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. He's like, it doesn't matter. Why would you show up to a church on Sunday if this wasn't real? And so we have to ask that question, is this actually real? If there, if, if there are implications that have changed my life about this, is it real? And, and there's been a lot of historical digging to see if this is for real true. Did Jesus really raise from the dead? There are theories put out there by people who think there's no way it could happen. People who are skeptics, just like the first followers of Jesus were skeptics. Now, no one debates that there was a, a historical Jesus or not. They used to debate that, but, but most credible historians would say, no, no, for sure there was this guy named Jesus in first century Israel. And they think, yeah, his teaching's all great. How he lived was amazing. But I, if you're a historian, you have to ask the question, for all his teaching to make sense, what do we do with the resurrection? Well, some have said that when, when these ladies show up at the tomb here and then they see that Jesus isn't there, well, it's because they went to the wrong tomb, right? And I get that. I mean, without GPS, I'm, I'm lost, okay? So maybe for sure, I'm thinking, yeah, except it's ladies who went there, they for sure would stop and ask for directions, so I doubt that theory, right? No, he, he, here's another reason why it just seems like such a lame theory. If they show up and then they run and tell the disciples, the disciples then come and see this empty tomb, but it's the wrong tomb. You don't think the religious leaders, the Roman authorities would go, you moron Christians. Here's the tomb. Here's Jesus' body. But they didn't because there's no body to be found. So a bit of a weak theory, but, but, but maybe some would say this. Maybe they're so overcome with grief that, that everyone just hallucinated. They just thought they saw Jesus. 
Now, the problem with that, beyond the fact that that hundreds of people had this same hallucination, it's the fact that as Paul was writing, again, to the the church in Corinth, it was about 20 years after the, the death and resurrection of Christ, he even says in his letter, he said, listen, Jesus appeared bodily. He appeared to, to well over 500 people. And then he says this, and they're still, many of them still alive today. He's saying, go ask them. Go talk to them. They, they, they saw this. This is not a legend that was developed over hundreds of years. This was something where you could say, hey, 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 you, you were there. Tell me about it. Another theory would be, well, maybe Jesus didn't actually die. Maybe he just blacked out on the cross. I mean, that, that almost makes sense, right? Uh, how, how many stories do you hear about people, especially back in the, in the olden days, how they were buried when they weren't quite dead yet, but people thought they were dead, but they were just mostly dead, right? But they weren't really dead, and, and they get buried alive. You know, maybe that could happen. Maybe he was just unconscious. And then he kind of pulled himself together in the tomb there and and somehow got out of all those grave clothes and spices and then he he moved the stone and then he snuck past the Roman guards and and everybody thought, wow, he he was resurrected. But here's a a historian named David Frederick Strauss, not a Christian, just a, a secular historian. He says this about that theory. He goes, it is impossible that a being who had been pushed that had pushed his way out of a tomb, crept out weak and ill, needing medical treatment, who required bandaging, could have given the disciples the impression that he was a conqueror over death and the grave, that he was the prince of life. Bit of a lame theory. Here's another one, that, that, that maybe his body was stolen. That maybe the followers of Christ, they just took his body. He said, if, if he, said he was going to rise again, so let's steal his body and let's, let's just make up this religion. Hard one to believe, though. Because here you have these disciples all through the the gospel accounts were scared and clueless. Scripture does not paint them as as brilliant, courageous men hanging out with Jesus. They all ran and hid when he was crucified. So the theory is this, that these same scared disciples, that that all of a sudden on Sunday, they turn into Jason Bourne and they they sneak past these guards, trick them, steal this body, drag it out. Then they they come up with this theory. They they tell everybody about it, that Jesus is risen. And they die horrible deaths for a lie they start. Think about that. Other than the Apostle John, every one of the disciples, listen, disciples with wives and kids die brutal, horrific deaths. I mean, if you're here as somebody who would say, listen, I believe Easter, sorry, that Easter is the real deal. Listen, we're not just crossing our fingers and hoping that this is true. The evidence is way too strong to just walk away from it saying that it's not real. And I've quoted this guy before, this guy, Dr. Thomas Arnold. He was a professor of modern history at Oxford. He says this, the evidence for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has been shown to be satisfactory according to the standards of any historian. It holds up according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as any judge reviewing the most important case. He says this, I've done this myself many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. 
And then he says, throughout my life, I've made it a career of studying the histories of times and events, examining and weighing the evidence for what was written about each of them. And he says, I know of no other one fact in the history which is proved by better and fuller evidence than this one. Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Amen. So saying all of that, what do you do with this then? What do you do with this evidence? And, and here's where here, I love the gospel writers because you, you can read them and put yourself in the story. And I, I honestly think that's, that's how they're writing. They're writing in a way where you would say, man, who am I in this story? Because the people respond. There's, there's different ways you can respond to this evidence. Different ways that people respond. And I, I want to ask you this morning as you, as you hear the ways people respond to ask yourself, man, which person am I? How am I responding to this? Verse 1 says this, he says, After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Maybe, maybe this morning you respond like these guards. I mean, the guards responded with fear. They were so scared with what they saw. When they come to, look what happens, out of their fear, verse 11. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. They're, they're talking about what had just happened. And when they'd assembled with the elders, these are the religious leaders, and taken counsel, they gave a significant, uh, sorry, a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said this, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Here you have these guards. They experience the resurrection and they're filled with fear. They respond with fear. Now, now forget, there's a couple reasons why they'd be, be afraid. I mean, for one, they just saw an angel I mean, I've said this before. We have these weird pictures of what angels are, these, these naked babies in diapers with bows and arrows or harps. All right, That would be freaky, but wouldn't fill me with fear. right? What's the text here say? It says he, that he, he shone like lightning. It, it's, it's like they can't even come up with the words for it. It's like I mean, this brilliant warrior of heaven shows up, and these, these tough Roman guards faint in fear. Now, I, I think they also had fear. You can see it in the, in the other verses I read when they go to meet with the religious leaders. They had fear that because they lost the person they were supposed to be guarding, and it was a dead body, how hard to guard a dead body, right? They lose the body because Jesus gets up and leaves. They're fearful for their death now. They'd be put to death by the, by the person who's over them for failing as what they were called to do. And that's why the, the religious leaders say, hey, don't worry about it. We'll take care of Pilate for you. We'll talk to the governor. I mean, you, you read the story of the crucifixion. You see, yeah, I could see that happening because they really took care of Pilate before and they said, no, give us Jesus to crucify. So these, these soldiers just respond in fear, take this money and go about their life. Now, now some scholars would say that, that, that there's gotta be one or two of them that, that would have come to Christ, that would have come to full belief because otherwise, where do we get the story here of their meeting with the religious leaders? But... But most of them, even after seeing what they saw, they took the money and kept their mouths shut. 
Listen, listen, we, we can turn our backs on what is most important, what has the potential to completely change our lives. We, we can turn our backs for just the simplest of things. They turn away from something that would change them for eternity for what? For a little bit of cash. I mean, the distractions of our life have a way, don't they, of keeping us from what's important. In fact, Blaise Pascal, in his, his book, Pond says, I hate saying that word. I hate, I hate saying French words, Pond says. When I order a breakfast sandwich, I won't get a croissant because I just don't want to say croissant, right? Anyway, so <laughs> come back. That's, that's, Blaise Pascal, in his book, Pond says, he, he, he writes about this great party that's happening. So there's this, this huge party going on. In the midst of this great party, in comes this monster in the middle of the party. And the monster will grab one person in the party, will maul them to death in the middle of everybody, and then drag their corpse out of the party. And he says, people will stop dancing for a while as they watch in horror. There'll be a bit of silence and shock. And then they'll go back to the party. And again and again, this, this beast will come in, grab another person. And even though, as this goes on and on and on, even though people in the party would have to be able to think, wait a minute, this is coming for me too. They keep partying. And he's saying this, that, that, that death comes in. Death comes into our lives. And we see it. Everybody can see it. And yet we distract ourselves from thinking about eternity. We distract ourselves from questions of what happens when this life is over. I mean, this is the most important question ever you have to ask. Did Jesus raise from the dead? To be distracted from it, all we're doing is we're avoiding eternity. We're avoiding the certainty of the fact that that monster is coming for all of us. That one day, every single one of us will come face to face with our mortality. And the guards take their fear and, and, and rather than seeking after the truth, they're distracted by some cash. They, they trade eternal hope and joy and rescue and identity. They trade it for temporal stuff. I mean, how often am I distracted in the same way? How often are you distracted in the same way? But listen, when we avoid these questions of eternity, when we avoid these questions of the resurrection, we're moving past the hope and joy that we can have in the midst of trials. We're moving past the, the direction and clarity that we can have in times of doubt. If Jesus raised from the dead, he holds the key to the meaning and fulfillment in life that you've been searching for. He's the only one who can bring hope. He's the only one to bring joy. He's the only one who brings a certainty that the grave is not the end. How are you responding to the resurrection? Here's another way that we can respond. You, you can respond like the religious leaders did. They, they responded with total unbelief. And we read what they said to these soldiers, and I mean, they didn't even take the time to process it. They didn't even take the time to go, why? Well, wonder if this is true. Here are the religious leaders, the ones who should have known. These are the ones who knew the story that God has been telling through the Old Testament, the story of, of redemption that would come. They're the ones who are, who, are, who are practicing this picture of a lamb sacrificed in our place to take care of sin, that when Jesus shows up and John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, these guys should have seen that, that this is the one who's come. But 
But rather than pressing in to find out truth, they just immediately make plans to pay off the guards. They don't want the resurrection to be true. They want nothing to do with it. Maybe that's you this morning, that you're as skeptical as anyone would have been in the first century. But here's the difference. The religious leaders, they don't move past being skeptical. They don't move forward to seek out answers. They come up actually with reasons not to believe. Because they know if we're going to accept this as truth, something's going to change in our life. I mean, to believe this means Jesus isn't just our rescuer. It means he is God. He's our Lord. He has absolute say over our lives. To, to accept this truth, it means that I am not the final authority in my life. I can't just do whatever I want to do. I can't hold on to my little pet sins that I just love to hold on to. I can't spend my life like I want to spend it. I can't pursue my agenda without considering that I have a greater authority in my life. If he's Lord, I have to admit that I'm limited, that I don't always understand, that, 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 that in tough times I, I would have to say, but God's in control, he's at work, and, and I humbly walk in trust of him. If this is true, I, I can't boast in how great I am. Because here's the truth of what Christ's death on the cross and the resurrection means. It means that every one of us sits here as broken, busted, messed up sinners in need of someone else to rescue us. That we can't rescue ourselves. That we can't measure up. That we have to surrender in humility and say, Jesus, I need you. So this morning, do you find yourself more like these religious leaders? In your heart, you wonder, man, I wonder if this is true, but, but are you pressing in? Are you seeking out the truth, or are you standing back going, I don't know if I want my life to change that much? Maybe it's your doubts that, like the guards, you can move past it quickly, you can be distracted e easily, or, or like the religious leaders, you, you, you actually just want to stop pursuing any answers. Look down at verse 16, though. You're going to see that even the close followers of Jesus had their doubts. Verse 16 says, The eleven disciples went, into, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I mean, doubt's a part of the Christian experience. It's pretty common, but, but here's the question. Can you let the evidence of the resurrection bring you to a place where you begin to doubt your doubts. You may, you may have questions, but, but your questions are met with this undeniable truth of who Jesus is. And someone once said it this way, that faith is this. Here's a great definition of faith. It's, it's when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. The unexplainable, those questions are like, yeah, I have so many questions. I don't understand why this is happening. I, I don't quite get this. When those questions, the, the unexplainable, are met with the undeniable. Jesus is who he says he is. So I'm all in. I mean, lastly, you see this kind of reasonable faith in this last group of people this morning. These women, when they see the resurrection, they respond with fear and great joy. You can read in the scripture here, if you've got it open, after these men fall over like dead men, so scared, verse five says, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. 
For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he's risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with what? With fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Now, what's the fear they have? How is their fear different from the soldier's fear? Their fear is this. I mean, if Jesus actually was raised from the dead, he wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a moral leader. No, it meant that that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God the Son, that he was like he claimed to be, that he was God come to earth. And so you have this awe Kind of like that, that feeling you get deep in your gut when you, when you stand on the edge of a Grand Canyon. When, when you see a hurricane and, and it's force and you have that, wow. When, when, you, when you see the ocean in the midst of a, a full storm, you have this sinking feeling, this, this thought, this awe, this fear of this is powerful. They now see Jesus for who he is, that he's God, the creator of the universe, the conqueror of death. So they're filled with this awe, but it says they also had great joy. Why? Because now they see the truth that Jesus, God the Son, comes to earth to rescue. That he doesn't bring judgment, he takes the judgment on himself. He takes the punishment on the cross that we deserve And now everything that you'd be afraid of in life, you you can see, wait, he's overcome that. And and so filled with awe of his power, but seeing what his power accomplishes, they go, we're filled with joy. Joy, why? Joy because guilt. Guilt doesn't have the last word in our lives. Uh, Apart from Christ, we stand condemned before a holy God. That is so true. But Jesus took on the full penalty of our brokenness, of our sin on the cross. So there's no more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Guilt no longer has the last word. Filled with joy. The the empty tomb means that injustice does not have the last word. Listen, we live in a world where the curse of sin is so easily seen. We see injustice all around us. Listen, this morning while we celebrate Easter... In Sri Lanka, they're mourning as churches have been bombed. Injustice. But listen, listen, it doesn't have the last word. God's gonna overturn those those things of injustice, those bad things. He's he's gonna redeem us into a world where all things are righted. He's gonna heal us for eternity. An eternity where, where all injustice is completely repaid. It doesn't have the last word. The empty tomb means that addictions don't have the last word. In the resurrection, that there's a a power of resurrection for you and for me, that God's released this power to renew anything that sin has destroyed. Listen, maybe you're here this morning and you've messed up your family. You've messed up relationships. You've messed up your own life. The resurrection means this. You can call on the name of Jesus and he can make all things new in you. Addiction doesn't have the last word. The empty tomb means that despair doesn't have the last word. You can think about how how full of pain and hurt our world is and and maybe you come here and that's part of your story. 
You come with despair about a relationship. You, you come with despair about your health. You come with despair because you've experienced a death of a loved one. You're like, man, I'm just filled with this. I don't have hope. But listen, listen. The resurrection shows that pain and hurt and despair does not have the last word. That through Christ, we're being rescued to a place where he will wipe away every tear. He will take away every pain. That despair does not have the last word. And listen, as long as Jesus is alive, there is hope for you. No matter how dark the night might seem, that there is a morning coming. Here in Matthew, we we see that that they would have spent all that Saturday night just wondering, just in despair over what had happened. And yet they come to this morning, this resurrection morning, where there was life and hope. No matter how bad the night is for you right now, no matter how much you think your life is broken and fallen apart, despair does not have the last word. Finally, here's the big one. Listen, death does not have the final word. All those who die in Christ are raised to a new life with him forever, with him and those who love him forever. You know, just this past week, I was remembering with some people about a, a loved one that had died. And we we're all at the house together as, as she was breathing her last breath. And when she did breathe her last breath as someone who loved Jesus, in that moment, through tears, people started to worship, started to sing, why? For sure missing her, but singing why? Because we knew that she loved Jesus in that moment. She hadn't died. She changed addresses. She was with Christ, the one she loved. Listen, if Jesus is truly resurrected, if Easter is for real, none of these things cause you grief. Guilt and injustice, addictions, pain, death, the loss of loved ones, they do not have the final word. The empty tomb is the final word. I love it because their fear and joy then come together. Look at verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Here's a cool thing about that word. That, that word is just a common word. It's like, what's up? I think sometimes we have this picture of Jesus like he floats around. Oh, right? Peace unto thee. He didn't talk like that, right? He, he's here and he's so excited to see these women, these women who followed him and loved him. He's like, greetings, what's up? Jesus, someone you can trust, someone who loves you, someone who wants to be near you, someone who's pursuing you, and someone you can run toward, not run away from. He goes, hey, hey, ladies, what's up? And what do they do? They came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. The evidence is now so overwhelming for them. They've seen an empty tomb. They saw the grave clothes lying there. They saw the guards unconscious. They saw an angel giving testimony from heaven. And now here he is, and they fall down to worship him, Jesus, as Lord. And Jesus says this in verse 10. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I love that. Go tell my brothers. Go tell those ones who betrayed me. Go tell those ones who ran away from me. Go tell those ones who failed miserably in the time of my greatest need. But he says, he calls them what? He calls them, go tell my brothers. I mean, this is grace upon grace upon grace here. That we could be sons and daughters of the king of the universe. We could be brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. It's grace. So my question for you this morning is this. 
Do you know the risen Christ? Have you fallen at his feet in worship? Is, is he your Lord and your rescuer? Not just a teacher, not just a miracle worker, not, not just a really good moral person. Because Jesus himself claimed to be your only hope. The only one to give life. The only one who could deliver you from hell and separation from God forever to a place of eternal hope and joy with him in heaven. So as the worship team comes up this morning, here's my hope for us this morning. I mean, if you, you've come out here this morning and, and, and you don't know Jesus yet, you haven't experienced that rescue where, where you bring your sin and your brokenness, those things in your life that, man, you know, you're not gonna stand up and go, no, I'm perfect. You know you're not. And you bring that and say, I need Jesus. I need his rescue. I wanna follow him as my Lord and Savior. I mean, my hope for you this morning is that that is what you would experience. And I, listen, I'm not trying to hide my intentions. I mean, it's full out. Here it is, all cards on the table. I would be a horrible person to believe this about Jesus Christ, to believe this evidence, to believe that there's, this is your hope, that, that without Jesus, you are eternally lost. If I actually believe that, and then I don't point you to the place of hope, it's the most horrible person in the world would do that. I mean, for sure, I want to convince you. For sure, I want you to believe. Chances are, listen, that person who invited you out this morning they'd love for you to believe too. They invited you here because they were hoping that I would speak in such a great way that you'd be like, man, I get this now, right? That's why they invited you here. Just got a little awkward, right? Really, that's why you brought me here? It is. Because I would want you to respond with a heart that's looking for this hope. And maybe you're ready to believe today. Or maybe you're just curious, you're like, man, I, I want to find out more about this. Come on back. Come back with questions. Come back and, and hang out with us. Come back and, and dig into this. Seek it out. Don't be like the religious leaders who say, I'm not even going to pursue this. But listen, as we sing this morning, there are going to be people who are going to be coming up and they're going to be standing up here at the front or along the sides. And if, if you need to talk to somebody this morning, If this is where you're at, we're like, man, I, I want to find this. That I would say, even as we sing, before we sing this song, that, that if you were to pray, if you were to actually just speak to God, that it, may, it may sound a little something like this, where, where you would say, Jesus, I, I know I need to be rescued. I know that I'm a, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe who you say you are and I, I want to trust you and I want to follow you as my Lord. That even right now, in your own words, from your heart, that if you're not sure, that if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that you would say, Lord, I want to follow you today. I want that hope and that life. I want you as my Savior, you as my rescuer, you as my Lord. And you take that position of worship that these women did. And I'd say if, if, if that's a prayer you pray just now, if, if you prayed that, if you're like, man, I do want to pray that, then grab somebody. 
Maybe it's going to be one of the people that are going to be standing up here. Maybe, maybe you came with nobody. You're like, I just came to check this out. I want to go talk to somebody. Maybe it's the person you came with. You would say, hey, I want to pray that prayer. Maybe if you're the one who did the inviting, maybe what we worship, you kind of give that look over like, huh, you? No, right? To say, I, I would pray with you right now. In fact, right now, would you stand with me as, we, as I pray and as we sing? Heavenly Father, I thank you that as we stand here today, Lord Jesus, I I thank you that you are not just a a great teacher who died. I thank you that you are God the Son, that you are raised again, that, that guilt and shame and brokenness and fear and death and injustice, none of those have the final word. That because you are who you say you are, because you conquered sin and death, because you took our penalty for sin, so that we can be made right before a holy God, that we now have the opportunity to say, I need this rescue. And then our fear can turn to joy. And our joy can lead us to worship. Lord God, I pray for those who are here this morning who who are seeking out this evidence. God, even right now, you'd be moving in their heart. God, the, for those who, who aren't sure and say, I want to be sure this morning, God, that as they, as they call out to you, God, I thank you that in that moment, that right now, right now, you've already begun your work. That in that moment of turning to you, that we go from death to life. God, that we can celebrate that this morning, that we can have a hope that is eternal. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your gift of salvation. Thank you that you've rescued us, transformed us, and we know that we have a future that is guaranteed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.